Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be so 2 Samuel 16 and 1. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Okay, I want us to remain intensely observant, aware to the fact that the Lord God made a covenant with David. David is walking under covenant. It was a promise that was bound and sealed by God himself. And despite all the mistakes that we'd seen David do, and he's made quite a few of them, the the foul-ups, the adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband Uriah, to name the two big ones. Yet the Lord still honored his covenant promise on David. He's still going to honor that. And so here's Ziba with provision. Now, David needs this provision. And what do you think? Who do you think sent that? I believe the Lord did. The Lord is providing for David, but I want you to understand, he's providing for David not because of anything that David had done. This is God's covenant promise that he made that he's going to keep, not because of David, but because of God. God keeps his promises when he makes them. Second Samuel 16 and 3. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. Okay, verse 1 says that Ziba is the servant of Mephibosheth. So when David asks, where, where's this guy? He's asking, where's Mephibosheth at? I want you to remember who Mephibosheth is. Back from chapter 9, David gave to Mephibosheth everything that belonged to Saul. David thought it would be good to show some favor to somebody of Saul's line because a lot of Benjamites thought that the line should stay with Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. So David wanted to show some good favor to someone from Saul's line. And he asked, who is there? And Ziba was there, actually. And he says, hey, Mephibosheth is of Saul's line. So that's that's who we remember Mephibosheth from is chapter 9. And so Mephibosheth had it all. I mean, he had everything that was Saul's. David gave it to him. But Ziba, though, here, he just told him that Mephibosheth had turned against him. As we just read, today the house of Israel will return the kingdom of my father to me. Okay, guys, Mephibosheth was was Saul's grandson, and so Ziba had just said that Mephibosheth intended to use this conflict that was going on between David and Absalom. He was going to try to use this conflict to take the throne for himself, that Mephibosheth was thinking 
this isn't going to work out well. I'm going to get the throne. The throne of Israel, the kingdom, is going to fall back to the Benjamites. And hey, who's the next guy in line? That would be me. David was betrayed by Mephibosheth. He gave Mephibosheth everything. The very man that he had offered so much to had now turned on him. Second Samuel 16 and 4. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Guys, to me, this is a very sad story. It just breaks my heart to think of what became of Mephibosheth, the very guy that had been given everything by David. You know, I really wanted to have compassion for Mephibosheth. Remember, he early on, he was a really nice guy. He couldn't walk very well. He was lame in his feet. How do you feel about Mephibosheth right now, that he is going to try to stay in Jerusalem and get the throne? How do you you feel about Mephibosheth at this very minute? Okay, I want you to hold on to that thought. I want you to take a snapshot of how you feel about Mephibosheth right now. I want you to hold on to it, because I just did something sneaky to you right here. And this I've got a purpose for this. I've got a biblical, good, godly purpose for this. Because I want you to remember this about Mephibosheth this very minute, because I want to show you later on in chapter 19, after this whole mess with Absalom gets resolved and Absalom is is done away with and taken care of, because we know that David comes out of this okay, right? Because he's the covenant king. God's going to hold his covenant together. But I want to show you what happens a few chapters from now when David returns back to Jerusalem and he actually encounters Mephibosheth when he bumps into him. Read along with me. Check this out, and you're going to see something here, okay? 2 Samuel 19 and 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was, when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, My servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. Okay, now we're getting the other side of the story now, aren't we? You ever have people that cut you down and tear you down, insult you, mock you, just to try to make themselves feel better or look better? Basically, Ziba took all that provision for David, not out of the pure goodness of his heart, but to fluff David up because Ziba was looking for some kind of reward for it. Now, this doesn't mean that the Lord still did not use Ziba to bring provision to David. I still believe that. Like I said, David needed this provision. Here it is. But Ziba's agenda, whether good or bad, he wanted to try to get something out of it, out of David. He wanted to get some kind of reward of some sort. You remember the Amalekite kid that encountered David after Saul's death? And he lied to David. He said, I did King Saul this big favor. The Philistines were about to come and torture Saul. So Saul said, please kill me. So I did. And I saved Saul from torture. That's not how Saul died. That is not how Saul died. He did that. He said that to David because he thought he would get a reward. He lied about Saul, what happened to get some kind of favor out of David. We've seen this play out before. Consider that Ziba met David where? Where did he encounter David? 
past the top of the mountain. So Ziba went way up on this mountain to try to bump into David there. Why? Consider the fact that Mephibosheth is lame in his feet. He couldn't walk very good. He was disabled. And so here's Ziba. He's going to try to meet David on top of the mountain because he knew that Mephibosheth was not able to get up there to defend himself when Ziba slandered him. I think Ziba took advantage of Mephibosheth's disability. He slandered him and he lied to David to gain for himself. Okay, how do you feel about Mephibosheth now? Hmm, very differently, don't you? I also want you to notice something about Mephibosheth's appearance here. It says his mustache was untrimmed. It means his mustache was long. This is a timestamp. The Bible gave us a point of reference for time so that we could see how long he'd been in distress for David. Whenever the Bible gives you a time frame, a time stamp like this, always don't, don't skim over the top of it and lose that. It's there for something. You really need to pay attention to these kind of things. Observe the word, observe the text, study. And so Mephibosheth's very appearance proves that he was under distress ever since the time David had evacuated. When David took off and got out of Jerusalem, Mephibosheth was very deeply concerned. He didn't even spend time taking care of himself, his mustache trimming. He didn't take care of his feet, didn't wash his clothes. It's evident when Mephibosheth came back, he wasn't looking to get himself all roiled up. He was in distress. You know, the Jews would throw dirt on themselves and tear their clothes to show their distress. Mephibosheth didn't even bother to tend to himself because his mind was on his covenant king. His very appearance proves, it gives us a timetable that proves his vindication contrary to what Ziba falsely accused him of. You see what just happened here? Again, let me ask you, how do you feel about Mephibosheth now? Are you still upset with Mephibosheth like I think maybe you probably were a few minutes ago? Or do you have even more compassion for Mephibosheth now? Do you see what I just did to you? The little sneaky little trick I pulled on you, but I, I did it for a reason and then came around and explained it off in chapter 19 because I wanted to show you the danger of scripture plucking. People, often they don't read all of the content to get the context. They read one little thing, they draw their line in the sand and say, there's my conclusion and that's how I'm going to feel about it. And friends, when you do that, the danger is you will be 180 degrees off from what the Bible is actually trying to tell you. When you're studying a story, look to understand everything that went down, look to know everything about every character in the Bible, to know what's going on. Don't just pluck and go, hmm, that verse right there is enough, and I'm going to make my decisions and my whole theology off of just that. You will get in trouble. I had you hating Mephibosheth. Now I have you liking him again. Now, there are a lot of teachers that teach by pluck, 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 and they will have you hating somebody that you're supposed to have compassion for, okay? Don't be duped. Don't be fooled like that. Have your own drive to study God's Word. Don't just pull one little piece out and go, there, this is the way I think on this subject. When there's more to be said, follow all the way through. Read it all. Study to show thyself approved. You would have resented Mephibosheth had I left you at chapter 16. I could have steered you any way I wanted to, and that would have been shame on me. There's a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, a lot of guys that do that. 
Don't let them own you. Don't let them steer you. And don't let laziness, scriptural lightweightism, whatever, <laughs> that's a rayism word. Don't let spiritual lightweights steer you, okay? You've got an eternal destiny of rewards and things wrapped up in this. Be studious. Study, study, study to show thyself approved. I found an opportunity to give you a good dose of this today from Second Samuel 16 on to 19, and I wanted to take advantage of it for your benefit. Study the Word of God. So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Oh, I just love Mephibosheth right now. You know, when I get to, get to heaven, I'm going to spend some good time with Jesus, going to hang out with Paul and Moses and all these great guys. I'm going to like, dude, you are awesome. I remember reading about you and all that. I'm going to go looking for Mephibosheth. I really am. I'm going to find that guy. Mephibosheth, come here, man. Put her there, buddy. Man, I, ooh, you were awesome. Thank you so much for what you did. That you just cared about your king coming back was your main concern. Zeba tried to make Mephibosheth look bad. And don't you hate it when people do that to you? They try to make you look bad. You know, but Mephibosheth, he never fired back at Zeba. That's one thing I want you to notice. He didn't shoot back at him. All Mephibosheth had to do was just remain loyal to his king, and he was vindicated. I'm going to say that again because that's very important. All Mephibosheth had to do was remain loyal to his king, and he was vindicated. He considered the return of his covenant king to be more important to him than all of the treasures in this world that he could have had. And he referred to him as my Lord, the king. This proves that he believed the whole time that nobody was ever, not Absalom, not no one, no one was ever going to take this king's throne away from him. Now, I think Mephibosheth is somewhat of a foreshadowing parallel of David right here because of what David is going through in chapter 16. David was far away out of Jerusalem, and there wasn't much of anything he could do about the situation that was going on with Absalom coming in to steal the throne. David was way out there, and there really wasn't much he could do about it. Mephibosheth is kind of in the same spot. He stayed back at Jerusalem. He couldn't get around very well. He's got people against him, people lying about him. There wasn't really much he could do about it, except trust in his king. You see the parallel there? Friend, I know you're going through a mess right now, and you feel like there's not much you can do about it. You just stay loyal to your king, your covenant king, Messiah Jesus. Amen. Let's read on. Second Samuel 16 and 5. Now, when King David came to Bahirim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So Shimei th said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Okay, 
Here's this guy, Shimmy, 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 Shimmy Shake, whatever. I, I don't know how to say it. I, my, my Hebrew friends, I'm redneck. I'm fifth generation Texan. I don't know Hebrew that good. I do the best I can, okay? My disclaimer, let's roll. <laughs> this guy, Shimmy, and he has something in common with Mephibosheth here. They are both relatives of King Saul. Shimmy apparently felt like it should stay with the Benjamite clan. But Shimmy accused David of being bloodthirsty. Did you see that? You rogue, you bloodthirsty, all the blood of Saul's house and all that. David, remember, he never lifted a finger against Saul. He would never touch him, even though he had several opportunities to do it. So this guy, Shimei, he's yelling about nothing. He's it, it, more lies like Zeba was doing, lying about Mephibosheth. Here's more lies again. People talking bad about you. You know, you don't always have to fire back at people and take them down when they try to lie about you. You just wait upon your king to vindicate you, right? So anyway, he said the Lord has delivered the kingdom to Absalom from you. Now, people that wouldn't know who the Shemite guy was would maybe have thought he was a prophet. Oh, he's saying, oh, look, the Lord has declared, you know, oh, he must be a prophet, you know. But, you know, the filthy cursing mouth on Shimei, it did not match the behavior of how a true man of God should look. So that's one way how you can tell these false people apart. You got these people claiming to be so up in God and God said this and God. But does their behavior match what the word of God says a believer is supposed to look like? There's your red flag right there. Christian, if you're walking in Jesus, you better have your mouth looking like you walk in Jesus. It needs to sound like you walk with Jesus. Your behavior needs to match your language. If they don't, there's a problem, okay? When people come out cussing and talking bad about people all the time, like it's so common today, but they say I'm a Christian, uh-uh, something wrong. You gotta get you gotta get the two to line up, okay? Second Samuel 16 and 9. Then Abishai the son of Zeriah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went alongside the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Okay, the most this guy's doing is talking trash, throwing rocks, and kicking dirt around. I mean, he's not that big of a threat. I mean, really, I think the Lord, David said, the Lord probably told him to do this. You got to put yourself in David's shoes for a minute. David is acutely aware of the trouble he caused by goofing around in sin, having knee-jerk reactions, doing bad stuff, and he paid for it. God took him out to the woodshed, and David's really paying for it. And so David is just really double thinking instead of just pop reacting like he used to do. He's being very careful, I think. And I think that's wise. We should be careful before we act. We should think about it first. So David remembers all the sins he's committed. And so he considered the possibility. Maybe the Lord was using Shemai to test him. So David can see in himself 
the measurable difference in who he used to be when he used to have that problem with making knee-jerk reactions before he thought about it. Not anymore. Used to be, oh, look at Bathsheba. Check her out. Hey, bring her to my house. Oh, I'm in trouble now. Let's kill her husband. Those are knee-jerk reactions that don't work out well. David is now trying to exercise, I believe. I think he's trying to exercise wisdom. I think he's trying to get back in line again. Wisdom, patience, and even some thought. Thought, uh, that's a lost feature these days. David figured he needed to learn how to exercise a little more self-control besides just, all right, go take his head off. I mean, okay, could he have done that? Maybe. Could it got him in trouble? Well, he's been getting in trouble lately. I think he's figuring, man, I need to put on the brakes and slow down a little bit. I'm already in enough trouble with God. Let me just just deal with it. I think maybe God sent him to test my patience. You ever have somebody just test your patience? So anyway, you can see how far David had improved over what he had been doing recently. Just just boom, I'm just going to blow up at every little thing. Now he's having a little more self-control. He had been recently corrected by the Lord, harshly, heavily. He's very accountable. He's the king. And so now he's being very careful because he remembers the sins he committed and what trouble they got him into. He's being very careful now. It's a very good way to be. Second Samuel sixteen fifteen. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, His I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. Okay, this is is good right here. Hushai, it says, is David's friend, okay? Remember, David said to Hushai, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to mess up Ahithophel's advice. He goes, I want you to go in there, tell Absalom, I'm your man, I'm your man. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing exactly what he told him to do. So Hushai is like, I'm with you, I'm with you. And he goes, oh, okay, good. All right, Ahithophel, what should we do? Did you see that? (laughs) He just, okay, you're good. All right, good with me. Um, Absalom, you're not very smart here, buddy. You should have been a little more careful. He just wasn't. Now, apparently, Ahithophel had an incredible track record. We're going to read that it says that Ahithophel's advice was like the best there ever was, like the oracle of God. Great track record. Everybody trusts him. Everything he's ever said was good advice. Everybody listened to him, okay? He knew how to give good advice. But Ahithophel abandoned David. Ahithophel is here with Absalom. He turned on David. Guys, you know what's sad about this? Ahithophel abandoned David because he could not see covenant. He couldn't see prophecy covenant in this King David. And you know what's sad? There's a lot of Christians that can't see covenant either. They don't understand prophetic covenant, and it's very dangerous. It'll get you in trouble. What Christians are doing today, most of them that call themselves one anyway, they're just playing politics. They're playing the political game. What is Ahithophel doing? He's playing politics. This political game made him blind. He can't see anymore. So what do you think is about to happen to Ahithophel's long-running gift of giving such great godly advice? He's about to lose it. 
His gift is about to be cut off like turning off the tap. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.